there uh, was a reporter who was interviewing a man who was celebrating his 100th birthday, and the reporter asked him, he said, you know, what are you most proud of? 100 years on this earth, what are you most proud of? man thought about it for a second. He said, well, I guess what I'm most proud of is that I, after 100 years, I, I don't have any enemies. I don't have any enemies on the earth. And, and the reporter kind of looked at him. He's like, wow, that's pretty impressive. You've lived 100 years and you don't have any enemies. How did you manage to, to, to get such a feat? How, how did you manage to do that? And the guy looked at him and he said, well, I, I guess I've just outlived them all. So um, I don't know if that fits you know, for some of you, but uh, may you live long enough to outlive all of your enemies. We are in the series uh, in a series we've been in for the last several weeks called Can You Relate? And we wrap up our series today. But in this series, we've been walking through the Apostle Paul's words in Ephesians chapters 5 and 6 about how we relate when it comes to our relationships, be it in our marriages, as we talked about, or in our families, parents with kids, kids with parents, or in our workplace, as we talked about last week. And as today, as we're going to wrap things up, we are come to that passage where you're probably familiar with it, where Paul wraps up this section by talking about that famous language of combat and warfare and putting on the armor of God so that, as we're going to talk about a lot this morning, we can stand our ground, so we can stand firm. Very similar to the passage Andrew just read from 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you would, go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. That's where we're going to be uh, for our time this morning. Kind of a long passage, so just bear with me. You can follow along on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible or in your Bible app. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it it fearlessly as I should. So for the last several weeks, we've been in this passage in Ephesians chapters 5 and 6, walking through Paul's instructions about these very ordinary everyday realms of life, marriage, parents, workplace, kids, all of those everyday ordinary realms of life. And probably all of us can relate to some struggle in at least one of those, right? As we've gone through this series, you can relate to at least one of those struggles, either with a spouse or or with a kid or with your parents or in the workplace or in some level of your relationships. All of us can relate. Some of us can relate in all of those areas, but at least one of those areas we can relate to the struggle that is there. But then Paul shifts gears and he wraps wraps up this whole section, not by simply talking about the ordinary, but by talking about the extraordinary, the extraordinary. 
And, and he talks about how in, in the midst of our ordinary, everyday lives and relationships of marriage and family and work, that there is an unseen world that's going on around us. There's an unseen force that is at work. And our struggle, as we talked about in week one of this series, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the people that we may feel like we're struggling with, whether it be a spouse or a child or a parent or somebody in the workplace. Ultimately, our struggle is against the spiritual forces that are at work in our own lives and in the lives of those that we're in relationship with. I was reading something um, this week. I'm not a huge science buff, but um, I, I did come across something that was interesting as it relates to the lesson today. Did you know that scientists estimate that about 98% of the world of, of known matter cannot be seen by the naked eye? I, I was thinking about that fact as I'm driving to work and I'm you know, or driving to church this morning, and, and I, I'm seeing fields, I'm seeing houses, I'm seeing sky, I'm seeing clouds, I'm seeing you know, roads and cars and people, and I'm thinking 98% of what exists in our world, you can't even see. Only 2% of what exists can, can you see. And that other 98%, you talk about, you know, microorganisms and bacteria that you can't see and protons and neutrons and electrons and atoms. 98% that, that you cannot see. And yet, Scientists devote their entire lives to studying the unseen world, that 98%. Why? Because they know that what happens in that 98% has such a huge, profound impact on the 2% that you and I can see. And Paul would come along and he'd say, you really want to know about the unseen world? You really want to know what's going on behind the scenes? Pull back the curtain. Because I can tell you, whether it be in your marriage or in your family or in the workplace, there is an unseen world and unseen forces that have such a huge effect on what we see and the people we're in relationship with and those that we see in those relationships. And if we want to make any progress in our marriages and in our families and in our workplace and in our relationships, then, then we have to acknowledge that the, the unseen spiritual component that plays such a huge impact on what we do see. The good news is Scripture at least peels back the curtain a little bit as much as we can grasp and helps us to at least have some understanding of that unseen world so that we can better relate when it comes to those relationships. So I just want to give you four things as we close out our lesson uh, or close out our series this week. Four things that really come out of this passage that help us or will help us hopefully to stand our ground and to relate when it comes to our relationships. And the first one is, is this, if you're taking notes. Our struggle is for ground that's already been claimed. Our struggle, we need to realize that our struggle and those, those struggles that we have in our relationships, first of all, it's not against flesh and blood, right? And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But it's, it's for ground, th th these relationships that we have is ground that's already been claimed. Four times here in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells them to take a stand, to stand firm, to stand your ground. After you've done everything, to stand, 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 stand. This isn't about claiming new ground. It's about standing on the ground that's already been claimed by God for us. Now, that may not sound like a huge distinction, but it is. 
Jesus says in, in John chapter 10, I love the second part of this verse, but the first part of this verse is also very important to recognize. He says, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. Now, I don't know if you know the whole you know, aspect of stealing, but stealing is taking something that's not yours, right? So if he's stealing, it's not rightfully his. It doesn't belong to him, and yet he's come to steal and kill and destroy. The ground he's looking to take in our marriages and in our families and in our workplace and in our relationships from you and me is not rightfully his. It's ours through Jesus Christ. That's why Paul tells us to take a stand, to, to stand our ground, because it's ground that's already been claimed by God for us. Our marriages, our families, our workplace, our relationships, God has given these things to us to bless us. It's not to cause us you know, damage. It's not to, to stress us out. Your spouse is not there to correct every wrong, although you may feel like they're there to support you and bless you. Your kids are not there to drive you crazy, nor are your parents. Your workplace is not just a, 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 a means to an end. All of those things are meant to be a blessing for you and me. It's God's will that our marriages thrive. It's God's will that, that parents are honored. It's God's will that children, that we don't exasperate our children. It's God's will that in the workplace our, our relationships are healthy and that we have meaningful work and, and, and there's respect and harmony that's going on. You're not wrestling with God for those things. God desires to give them to you. It's his will for us to have these things and enjoy these things and find blessing in those relationships. I think that's why God has so much to say about marriage and about family and about work and how we go about the things that we do and how we nurture those relationships and protect those relationships. I think part of the reason why that's so important you hear this so much in our world today, as people come along and they'll have a struggle, they'll have a bad experience, they'll have a, a setback or whatever it may be in, in marriage or in, in family or in the workplace, and they'll say, well, maybe it's just not God's will for me to have success in those places. And some of you may, may have those feelings. Maybe you have them this morning. It's just not God's will. It's, it's not God's will for me to have success in those areas. And that's just not true. It's not true. Now, it doesn't always work out. I was just talking to somebody. God has a plan. Doesn't mean we always abide by it, but God has a plan and he wants to bless your marriage and your family and your workplace and your life. And that's an all-out lie of the enemy when he tells us, well, it's just not God's will for me to succeed in these areas. Move from science to history. For some of you history buffs, I, I, I love watching some of those shows on the History Channel and and. Uh, go back in history and watch great battles and great commanders. Alexander the Great's, you know, one of those. I interesting about Alexander the Great, he was kind of one of the forerunners in psychological warfare on the battlefield. So one of the things that, that Alexander the Great would do is when they would go into battle or they'd be in, you know, on, on the battlefield, his soldiers would take with him or take with them helmets and breastplates and weapons and gear that was all meant to fit like a really large human being. Soldiers that they didn't really have that kind of size in their army. So they, they're carrying armor and gear that's meant for people that they don't actually have so that when they'd leave the battlefield, whether it was in victory or maybe retreating or whatever it may be, they'd leave that gear on the battlefield in hopes that when the enemy came along, they'd find that gear and be demoralized by looking at it and say, goodness gracious, who are these people? They're giants. They're, we have no chance. 
Reminds me of, of the story of Joshua and Caleb, if you remember in, in the Old Testament, when they go into the, the land of Canaan to spy it out. And they come back, you remember what the spies say? Not Joshua and Caleb, but the other ten, you remember what they say? They say, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. In many ways, that's what the enemy wants to do. He likes to play that game too. He likes to demoralize us in the pursuit, pursuit of a better life, of a better marriage, of a better family, of a better workplace situation. But the reality is, is while our enemy is certainly formidable, he's not that big, at least not compared to God and what he's given us and what he wants to offer to us to help us stand our ground. God's will is for us to prosper in these areas. They've been claimed by God for us. But you still have to stand your ground. You and I still have to stand our ground because we have an enemy who has come to steal and kill and destroy. Now, the good news is, is there's a power that's available to us that is greater than us, right? That's why Paul starts off this whole little section by talking about uh, the, the, the power that we tap into. He says, finally, be strong in ourselves and in our own mighty power, right? Now, that's a lot of times the story of our lives. That's the way it's written. That's not what he says. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, which leads to a second realization. Standing our ground requires putting on some armor. You need to put on the armor. You don't stand your ground just you know, armor less. You need to put on the armor. If we're going to stand our ground, we need to put on the armor of God. Paul writes in the very next verse, uh, after verse 10, he says, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That's why you put on the full armor of God. Why? Because in the end, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You need to put on the armor of God because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, there's a couple of words that I want to point out that I think are interesting. Struggle is one of them. That word struggle also means to wrestle. The idea that Paul is kind of presenting here is this, this hand-to-hand personal combat. That's the image that Paul is, is trying to convey. In other words, the, the battle is real. Or as you might hear, the struggle is real. And it's personal. Each one of us is dealing with and struggling with this, not just in our, our marriages and in our families and in the workplace. It goes deeper than that. The struggle is deeper. And all of us know what it's like to do hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. And as we've talked about throughout this series, we, we have these, these struggles in our marriages and in our families and in our workplace. And when we have them, our tendency is to think that our struggle is with the people that we're looking at. The people that we see right in front of our face. And I'm not saying that we don't have those struggles, but it goes so much deeper than that. And until we realize that it's deeper than that, you're going to continue to have those struggles. You're going to continue to have the same old, same old, same. How many of you as, and please don't raise your hand if you do, because your wife's probably going to, you know. How many of you have the same fights about the same stuff? How many of you struggle the same stuff? And I'm not saying all that's going to go away, but until we realize that there's something deeper going on than just what's going on with the people in front of our face, same stuff, same stuff. And Paul is reminding us that, that really our struggle is against those unseen forces that are at work, not against the people that are, that are in those relationships with us. And the level to which we recognize that our battle is really against those things has a direct impact with the people that we are in relationship with, how we view them, how we treat them, how we respond to them. 
Not only that, it affects how we see ourselves. It affects how we see the world around us. It affects how we even see God. All of that fits into this, this, this viewpoint, this paradigm of seeing things through the lens of what's going on in the other 98%. Not just the 2% that you and I can see. The point is, if we're going to stand our ground, then we have to realize that we are under attack. And we are under attack by an enemy that goes deeper than the struggles of our relationships that we see right in front of our face. Speaking of being under attack, that leads me to the second word. It's that word schemes. The, the word can also be translated as strategies or methods. In other words, the enemy has a strategy. The enemy has a method. He doesn't just go on to the battlefield with you or me in those battlefield areas of our marriages and our families and our workplace. He doesn't just go saying, man, I'm just going to wing it today. We'll see how it goes. He's, he's got a method. He's got a strategy. Not only does he know yours and my vulnerable spots for us just as human beings in general, but he knows yours and he knows mine. Don't be naive. Don't think he's not creeping in in areas where you struggle, areas that may not be bad things, but that, that take you away from what really is important. And one of the things that the enemy does is he isolates us in ways. He takes us away from where we need to be and the people that we need to be around. And we think that we're stronger than we are when we're really not. Don't be deceived. The enemy is scheming. He's after us. And our only defense is to rely on a power that's outside of ourselves and bigger than ourselves. That's why I say we have to put on the armor. Put on the armor that only God can give, to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, to fit our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, to take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, because the only way we're going to be able to make our stand and to stand our ground is to put on the armor that only God can give. Here's a third realization. Standing our ground requires getting help from others. Standing our ground requires getting help from others. We're going to stand our ground. We, we need the help of others. What Paul describes in this section is, is not meant to be a lone ranger endeavor. It's meant to be a group effort. Over and over and over again throughout this passage, you'll notice you, you, you do this, you do this. All of those times, it's not singular. I don't want to get, you know, I'm going from science to history to English. It's not singular, it's plural. So all over and over and over again, Paul's saying, you, 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 you all, or as we say down south, y'all, y'all do this, y'all do. And, and, and he talks about at the end, prayer and, and tapping into prayer. Five times he talks about prayer. Three of those times explicitly, he talks about praying for each other. He says, pray for me, pray for, pray for us, pray, pray for me. Further emphasizing the fact that you and I, when it comes to standing our ground, we, we need each other. Reading some other stuff this week, it's interesting to note that a Roman soldier couldn't put his armor on all by himself. He could put some of it on, but he couldn't put all of it on by himself. For, for instance, he needed help because of the way the breastplate went around the body. He needed help strapping in. Sometimes they even needed help strapping in their uh, on their helmets because of holding other things. They um, they needed help. Uh, getting their, their, their shield on just because of the way it settled, depending on how, how big it was. They, they could do some of it, but they couldn't do all of it. And the same is true for us spiritually. We need help 
from each other in putting on the armor of God. We need help sometimes realizing that we need to put it on in the first place. Some of us just think we're in a walk in the park. That's no big deal. You're on the battlefield. You're on the battlefield. And, 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 and certainly part of this is our group time together, but you walk out those doors and you're right back on the battlefield. And we need each other to help put on the armor of God. And so a very practical question I have for you is, who in your life is helping you put on the armor of God? Who in your life is helping you put on the armor of God? Who in your life is helping you put on the, the, the buckle of truth? Who's helping you strap that on and to walk in truth and not walk in the lies of this world? Who in your life is helping you to put on the breastplate of righteousness and to live in God's righteousness and what that means and under the righteousness of God? Who in your life is, is helping you? One of the things that we're doing, uh, trying to teach crews how to tie his shoes. Who, who, who in your life which is a losing endeavor, by the way. But who, who in your life is helping you strap on the, the shoes of the gospel of peace so that whatever comes in your life, you can stand your ground and not be torn apart by what's going on in the circumstances in your life? Who do you have in your life that's, that's helping you to take up the shield of faith and to walk by faith and not just by sight and what you see? Who do you have in your life that's helping you to put the helmet of salvation on and to, to walk in the security of knowing that you are saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Who do you have in your life that's helping you to walk, wield the sword of the Spirit? Who in your life? Who in your life is helping you put on the armor of God? You know, we have a lot of people helping us do different things. Who, who's helping you do that? Because that's the most important thing. We all need each other. We all need one another. Help put on the full armor of God. As I said earlier, that's one of the best, why one of the best tactics of the enemy is to isolate you and me. To get us away. And it doesn't even have to be like some, some of you isolate yourselves because you, you don't feel like you're good enough. Others isolate themselves because they think they're too good. Either way, we isolate ourselves and I do this too and we think we can handle it on our own. I, I got this. I can handle this. I can figure this out by myself. I can listen to the podcast. I can read a few books. I can read my Bible at home. I can, I can listen to some Christian music. I can get the bumper sticker. I can wear the cross necklace. You know, I, I can figure it out by myself. No, you can't. No, you can't. Some of you could testify to that, that you know good and well that you can't. And some of you will figure that out at some point. You and I can't do it by ourselves. We need each other to put on the arm. So, you know, so, here's the other thing too. Some of us are better at putting on some pieces than others. Some of us are better at strapping on the belt of truth. Some of us are better at strapping on the breastplate of righteousness. Some of us are better at living under the, the security of the helmet of salvation. Some of us are better at wielding the sword of the spirit. We need each other. And in fact, there's also a picture too of Ephesians here. We, we are all the body of Christ. We're kind of one person. So in effect, we all kind of make up the body and we need to, we need to armor ourselves up in, as the church, right? We, we need each other because we're not gonna be able to stand our ground alone. It's gotta be a group Effort. When Roman soldiers went into battle, one of the, and you probably heard this term before, uh, they, they would form a phalanx, right? 
and, and those carrying the larger shields were in the front of the army, marching side by side one another, their shields all together, touching. They kind of overlapped the way that, that the shields were made. They were wood wrapped in leather oftentimes, and then they had metal edges, and the metal edges made it to where they would fit, tink, 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 all the way down, and they just kind of overlapped. And then you had behind that, you had rows behind that, that would, uh, when they're you know, getting arrows and spears and whatever, shot at them, they, they would take and they'd all have the front row would have all the shields in front and then rows subsequently behind, they could just put their shields up and, and, ding, 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 and you've got just like a, a house, right? Like a really awesome house, better than a house, like a fortress. Nothing can, it's an impenetrable barrier, impenetrable barrier. Isn't that what the church should look like in many ways? Jesus says the gates of Hades shall not prevail against. That sounds pretty impenetrable to me. When we're, we're standing side by side, there's nothing that Satan can shoot at us or throw at us. They can't just drop to the ground because we are standing side by side, supporting each other, praying for each other, holding each other up, relying on each other. You're having some faith for me. I'm having some faith for you. We're pulling this all together. There's a great scene from the movie uh, Gladiator. It's one of my favorite movies. I don't know how many of you have seen it, but it's the story of Roman general Maximus. He's the favorite of the emperor Marcus Aurelius, who ends up dying. His son kills him and becomes the emperor who then um, Maximus is the nemesis of. So he's the favorite of one emperor and the nemesis of the next. So he is next emperor tries to have him murdered. He escapes. He's on the run. He's a fugitive. He ends up being a slave. Years later, he shows back up in the Roman Colosseum. If you've seen the movie, you know all this stuff. But he shows back up in the Roman Colosseum as a gladiator. Okay, and so him and these other slaves who are with him, they show up as, as, as gladiators to fight in, in this battle because they'd retell stories. And so they, they go in, in, into this battle, and, and it's the Battle of Carthage, if you remember the, the movie. And they're reenacting this Battle of Carthage, which Rome won, by the way. And so what they do is Rome would reenact these battles, and Rome won every time. And so they stick these poor slaves out there, in essence, to die. They'd be the enemy. Rome would come along. They'd kill them. They'd die. Everybody goes home happy. Great story. You know, that, that's what they did for entertainment. And so, the, you know, Maximus... Is, is him, him and the other slaves are meant to die. They've got no chance. But if you've seen the movie, you know that it doesn't go according to script. And, and instead, not only do they survive the battle, but they end up winning the battle. But there's a line in it right before they go out. There's a line in it. I don't know if you remember the movie, but he says, he, he says to them just this idea of needing each other. He says, whatever comes out of those gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we stick together. If we stay together, we survive. Here's the deal. The enemy has a script too. And he's certainly cunning. I, I don't, I don't want to dim, diminish that. But more than anything, he's just persistent. You, you ever notice that? Like he just keeps coming coming and coming. And he's not all that creative. He's a copycat. He's a counterfeitist. God makes everything good. And then what does Satan do? He says, eh, just a little bit off. And he's persistent in doing it. That's why the Bible is so applicable 2,000 years later for you and me. 
Because it's the same old stuff that we keep struggling with. It keeps jacking up our lives and our marriages and our families and our workplace. I mean, tell me where I'm wrong. It's the same old stuff. It's been happening for 2,000 years. It may be look a little different. The method may be different, but the same ultimate struggle is still there. And the enemy longs to retell the same story over and over and over of prior victories that he's had. He longs to retell that story and ruin another life and destroy another person and wreck another family and jack up another marriage. He just loves to tell that story over and over and over. But I believe it's possible to write a different story. And I believe it's possible to write a different story because there's somebody on the scene who wants to help you and me to stand our ground and to defeat the one who's come to kill and steal and destroy. But the reality is, you can't do it by yourself. It's gonna take an attitude of whatever comes out of that gate. We're gonna stand together. We're gonna stand our ground together. And then lastly, have to realize that standing our ground is ultimately for the sake of advancing the kingdom. The last verse here in this section, Paul talks about fearlessly making known the gospel of Christ. The reality is that soldiers put on the armor that they put on and go to battle, not simply for themselves, but for the sake of of the kingdom and advancing the kingdom and protecting the kingdom of the king they serve. Am I right? It's something bigger. Putting on the armor and standing our ground isn't just for the sake of of you and I having better marriages or better families or better experiences in the workplace. You know, putting on the armor and, and standing our ground isn't just for the sake of you, you know, getting your stuff together and having a better experience. I I hope that you do. That's God's design for your marriage and for your family and for your workplace. But putting on the armor and standing our ground is for the sake of advancing the kingdom of the king that we serve, the one true king. It's so that the quality of our marriages and our families and our jobs become a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the stand that you and I take is not just for our own sake, but it's for the witness and testimony of the gospel in our lives and through our lives. What are we doing with this life so that others can take a stand just as we have taken a stand? I mean, why do you think the enemy goes so hard after your marriage, after your family, after your workplace? Why do you think that is? Because he knows it's not just to divert our attention and to to cause us to struggle, but it's because he knows that the, the quality of our life impacts our credibility. And his desire is to impact your life of credibility so that all you are is just another person sitting in a pew. I mean, nobody wants to buy a product from somebody who's not going to use it, right? What product are we selling? Because you're selling a product by the way you live your life. And when people around us see a certain quality of life in our marriages and in our families and in our workplace, they're willing to give it a chance. They're willing to say, you know what? I I want that in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in my workplace. Are people saying that when they look at your life? So we need to stand our ground, not just for the sake of of our marriages and our families and our workplace and the ones that we love, but for the sake of advancing the kingdom of the king we serve. Would you go ahead and stand with me?
this morning. We're going to sing a song of invitation in just a moment, but you know, my prayer is, is not just that we will stand right now, but that you will stand up in your marriage and in your family and in your workplace. I mean, we, we come in here, what, what do we do this for? Is it just for show? I mean, is it just to, to spend a few you know, moments here listening to some crazy guy preach and, and, and singing a few songs so that we can feel better about ourselves? Or do we really believe this stuff? Because if we really believe it, then we're not just going to stand physically here. We're going to stand up in our marriages and our families and our workplace so we can advance the kingdom of the king that we serve. Look, our enemy's big, but our God's bigger. And the ground you're standing on has already been claimed. It's time for us to stand on it.